Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, if this is no longer Christmas Day when you're listening to this, this came out on Christmas Day, hence the Merry Christmas. This is part three of the Home is Where the Bears series, a collaboration between us and uh, Nick Sandry from Molly Rose. And today we're talking about the model for a brew pub, kind of in general, but also the part of the world where Molly Rose is going in, um, Collingwood and Melbourne. Uh, there are five other brew pubs in the immediate vicinity, so we thought it would be a good idea to chat to a couple of those to find out, I guess, how that model looks and how it works. So we've got Justin Joyner from Stomping Ground. Uh, he's a co-founder of, of the Stomping Ground brew, brew Pub with Steve and Guy, who we've had on the show um, a few times in the past. Most people will know who that is. And we also got Sam Batoon from Fixation. I apologise if I said that wrong. Sam, if you're listening, uh, I realised I forgot to check. And Fixation we've had on the show before as well, and they focus on IPAs, and it's kind of a showcase for the Fixation brewery. So between those two, they're, they're completely different models, and then Nick's coming in with his own unique spin on things. So uh, yeah, I hope you really enjoy it, and uh, you can check us out on alethetime.com for other podcasting needs. Um, and yeah, have a good Christmas, and thanks everyone. Start. Okay. This is how we always start. Yep. Let's just you start. Just, like an easy fade in. <laughs> yeah. And you catch me by surprise. <laughs> how are you, Nick? I'm very well, Luke. How are you? Good. Long time no see. It's been a while. Yep. I'm excited to, to do this episode. It's one we've talked about doing for a while. It's kind of geographically relevant to you. Very much. And we've got two geographically relevant guests. We've got Justin from Stomping Ground. Justin, how's it going? Good afternoon. Very well. It's good to hear. Uh, and Sam from Fixation. Hello. How are you doing? Good, good. So this is kind of the neighbourhood, three of the neighbourhood breweries. There's two more on the hood. I was uh, just up at the mill before this and uh, there definitely is, yeah, at least one or two more on Craft & Co and who knows next year. Okay, well, do you know next year? Uh, I, I do not, Okay. but uh, <laughs> I would not, nothing would surprise me at the moment. So we're going to talk about the, the brewery model and I guess, Nick, yours is kind of a unique model that we've talked about um, where you're fermenting on site but not brewing on site. Yep, that's it. So uh, we're going to ferment... Brew the beer, uh, uh, third party, transport it in as worked, and uh, yeah, ferment it on site and package it on site. I'm going to ask you why in a second, mm-hmm. but uh, I want to talk to Stomping Ground first. Justin, Stomping Ground's kind of the biggest of the three that we've got here, and the biggest, I think, in Collingwood. Can you tell us about what the thinking was behind putting a, a massive brew pub in? Uh, yeah, well, we initially, um, when we were tossing around ideas, we wanted to recreate the neighbourhood brewery 
Um, we wanted to, it to be a community hub that people could um, come and gather in as they, um, as they did hundreds of years ago when, when Collingwood was sort of the epicentre of brewing in Australia. So we wanted to, um, as part of that, we wanted to replicate the great beer halls of Europe as well, but albeit in a kind of industrial Collingwood sort of setting, um, which is why we chose a big warehouse in Collingwood. Um, and from there, we, we always had plans for to wholesale the beer as well. So we'd, it wasn't going to be um, a brewery that would just service that venue. We wanted a brewery that would give us the capability to be able to wholesale the beer to other pubs um, around town as well and then eventually package. Um, the packaging probably came along a little bit quicker than we thought because things um, were kind of heading that way and um, we could see what was going on with cans in the marketplace and we really wanted to be a part of that. And we had the opportunity to take an adjoining warehouse, so we had the space to do it there as well. So um, that's, that's why we went down that path. What's your role at Stomping Ground? Uh, I didn't realise I didn't introduce you as, a, as what at Stomping Ground. Um, so th there's three partners in the business, myself and Steve and Guy, um, who you know well, I know. Um, and Steve uh, looks after marketing and uh, kind of strategic stuff. Guy has a very large portfolio that includes the finance of the business, um, the brewery operations, the sales team. Um, and then I look after the hospitality side of things. So the beer hall, um, the local tap house and events um, to a certain extent in conjunction with Steve as well as some of the pop-up stuff that we do as well. So we've got, we've got managers in each of those venues and, and pop-ups that report to me. Um, and yeah, the hospitality side of it is, is my portfolio if you like a massive portfolio now we're talking <laughs> off mic about the the two pop-ups and i think um nick you mentioned in the u.s seeing breweries do pop-ups as kind of advertising and marketing and, and getting their business out there yeah absolutely um one that came to mind was trillium and i read the other day that they do 95 percent of their two million liters through their own venues and that just blew my mind yeah, that's um, huge and they do, I think this year they did two or three pop-ups in two cities. Um, yeah, very similar to what you guys are doing. Love the concept, getting their beer out and about, getting it in front of people who might not see it. And um, seeing beer in a, very much like you've just said, in a, like a German kind of atmosphere. Beers in the park, big long tables, families, fun, uh, not just beers at a big dirty pub people smoking cigarettes and spitting on the floor absolutely and for us stomping ground as a brand is more than just a beer it's a, it's the whole experience so to to be able to create um that experience in other sort of locations is a great opportunity to sort of talk directly to punters and and you know the, one of the things that really excites us is people coming in that either don't drink beer or um, don't have great interest in beer and then they leave having tasted you know one of the watermelon smash or something something they wouldn't have even dreamed of um of trying before and so to be able to do that in uh, not just in our own venues but in sort of satellite locations if you like um with our staff who are who are trained in our kind of ethos is is something we, re we value really highly was that always part of the plan to do pop-ups yes and no the experience is is a key thing there's a few key sort of pillars of, of, of what we do um community hub uh, aspect of the brewery uh, as I mentioned earlier is, is definitely one of those but experience um, is something that 
sort of permeates through the venues um, uh, and events that we do and that sort of thing. So pop-ups are kind of a, a natural extension of that. And some of the opportunities that have popped up, pardon the pun, <laughs> um, have not been necessarily planned well in advance, but um, they're just opportunities that we've taken because they've kind of been the right, right place at the right time sort mm. of thing. We talked about um, locations in the first episode of this. How, do you know what went into finding a location as, as big as Stomping Ground? Uh, about two years okay. went into it uh, looking. and Did it have it to w- fit exactly your, the vision for you guys? It, did. it, c- didn't, it wasn't um, necessarily, uh, it didn't necessarily have to be the size that it ended up being. We were looking at inner city warehouses basically, preferably in the inner north, preferably in Collingwood. Um, but we were sort of looking in the periphery of Collingwood, Richmond as well. We nearly had a place in Collingwood that was about half the size of what we got and it fell over for various reasons, um, which ended up being a good thing. Mm. But the, the brief was really a, a warehouse that had some character about it. We didn't want a, uh, a greenfield site that had had something built on it. We needed the, the building itself to sort of um, be something that, that felt good. Um, and it needed a, a decent size scale and it, and it needed to be sort of inner city because we felt that it was in the inner city that we would be able to have the biggest impact in terms of the most sort of ac- the access to people who are willing to try different things you know you hear so often from regional um, breweries and wineries that people come there and they'll drink the lager and the, the, the locals will drink the lager and the pale ale and they maybe don't uh, sort of explore the rest of the range as much and we felt that sort of being in the inner city especially in somewhere like Collingwood people are going to have a crack at whatever we threw at them and it was a really great opportunity to, to um, sort of get instant feedback on what we were doing. Sam, this is kind of a lot smaller and a lot, mm, not less ambitious, but I guess it's not the range of offering that, that Stomping Ground has. Tell us about Fixation, or the incubator more have specifically. You, have you said that we're at Fixation? Uh, I haven't. Am I just motioning with my hands like the listeners can see me? I can, I can see what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we all know that we're here. Okay, There's yeah, a yeah. webcam, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're at fixation. Yeah. Um, I think I normally do an intro to these anyway. So, yeah, I would have okay. seen it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, like, so um, I guess uh, probably coming from a slightly different uh, space when the sort of thought came about to open a um, hospitality side for fixation brewing. Um, obviously, fixation uh, started uh, just on three years ago now, purely as a production uh, production product focusing exclusively on IPAs uh, from a partnership uh, between Stonerwood and Tom Delmont, who's ex-Mountain Goat, and set up the fixation brand. Uh, and to this day, pretty much runs it as an independent business for himself down here in Melbourne. Um, so obviously, with volume being produced interstate and some packaged product, it was a little bit of a different idea of what we were going for once the volumes were enough that it made sense to open up a little production space. Uh, and for us, that meant looking at a site that would allow us to do some new and existing product development, tell the story about what Fixation's about, uh, and really help support what we were doing through package and on-prem sales with a venue, but um, not making the hospitality side the main focus for us. Maybe some benefit in some way having the production volume being able to be at, at another site was sort of different. Uh, yeah, a, a different sort of set of uh, yeah criteria we were looking at. But uh, so a little bit smaller, definitely than Stomping Ground, but pretty much in line with um, you know what we could afford as a, as a brand and uh, what we were hoping to do. Is this almost? I guess the way you're talking about it, you know, it's, it's somewhat of a showcase. Um, I know Tom said in the past he can bring clients in here or, or accounts in here to show them what fixation's about. Is this almost like a pop-up? 
a permanent uh, pop up. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's a long term <laughs> pop up. <laughs> permanent pop up. That's it. So per- permanent pop up here, um, but it's a very important part of it uh, for us to. Yeah, be able to be able to bring along uh, trade customers to show them what what we're about, and also uh, people that love the beer and have been looking for a place that you know fixation's all about. So, um, yeah, here here uh, everything that you brew is brewed down here except for fixation and obsession, which are brewed off site. Um, but squish the fix and everything else um, we're making down here, and uh, yeah, looking to keep it going. So, how much of the decision to put the brew pub here? was based on uh, introducing new customers to maybe like a pretty pointy end type beer. IPAs are quite divisive, although they're becoming more popular. They're pretty pointy end, bitter, high alcohol. And how, yeah, how much was that? Uh, so I guess, uh, yeah, probably a couple of things in there. Definitely with IPA being a challenging style traditionally and particularly in... Australia with taxation and a lot of people not having sort of gone towards those higher alcohol styles um, was maybe a, a, a bit of a, a, a challenge to sort of begin with with the business. Um, but then, yeah, the, the focus here was to sort of take uh, IPA and then as it's sort of evolving overseas and also here to expand that out a little bit towards a bitterness focus, but to a real hop focus in a different way to a pale ale or an XPA. Um, and yeah, that's sort of just uh, how we ended up. How important thinking of your your venue as a marketing tool? Do you think? Uh, I think it's twofold. Uh, it's definitely important, but it's also important if we're going to be a brand that sticks around to, in the same way as Stomping Ground, be a good local neighbourhood brewery. And I think without setting up one of these sort of spaces, it just ends up being another brand. And here we can actually make fixation into, you know, what uh, Tommy and I hope it will become. Nick, do you think what you're doing could be done as a, just a production situation or it has to be a fermentation or a place, sorry, not fermentation, a place you can come in and hospitality-wise? I've never thought of it that way. Um, that's a interesting question. <laughs> um, it would be... Much, much harder. I'm pretty sure we were talking off mic before about how hard it is to start a business, a brewing business these days, just doing production um, with cash flows. Uh, Because if you brew a beer this week, package it next week, sell it a month later, you only get paid a month after that, if you're lucky. Uh, So you're looking at three months without getting paid whilst you've already paid for all of your ingredients. so that makes starting that business really, really difficult. Um, so I guess my business model has always in been to have a site where I can directly hand a beer across to somebody, um, talk about that beer, give them the Molly Rose experience, and also get a little bit of cash flow straight across the bar so that I can support my, uh, support my business straight off the bat. Um, I haven't got big money behind me, so I, I can't build an extra large brewery and uh, spend heaps on TV advertising and billboards. Um, Can anyone in the craft space spend money on TV advertising? Uh, maybe not TV advertising. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, There's a few big breweries coming in these days who have got huge budgets uh, and they still could, still craft breweries. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, I always had... Uh, hospitality side to the business because 
it's very important to Molly Rose that we're hospitable and humble and happy to host people and talk about beer and share the experience. Mm. Um, so I guess I'd, I'd never considered not having that space mm. financially and also in terms of just having fun and getting good beer in the hands of good people and having a good time. You've got to have fun, right? Yeah. Justin, tell us about how important cash flow is to someone like Stomping Ground. <laughs> Hugely important. I think it is to, to any business and I think um, that anyone that um, has a brewery will know um, just how cash hungry the business can be. Um, and so that you need to have a strategy to sort of balance that, that hunger um, and I think the hospitality space is the way to do that and I think most people have, have gone down that path now. There's very few breweries now that apart from perhaps brands that, that don't have a brewery at all that, that outsource their brewing, there are very few that don't have some sort of um, hospitality offer and I think I, th- I think that the cash flow reality is that um, y- you need that to sort of support the growth if you want to grow, um, you know, at any sort of significant rate. Um, but I think it's also like you talked about marketing and billboards and that sort of thing before. I think the the, the value of that, whether it's a a tap room um, kind of cellar door experience or or a larger hospitality experience, the value of being able to talk directly to customers, I think, is is huge from a marketing perspective and I think back to you know 10 or 15 years ago um, drinking Little Creatures Pale Ale and just hearing story after story about you've got to go to Frio you've got to go to Frio it's amazing and then finally getting there and eating a pizza and having a beer at the source and then you know I was hooked for life really and not that I didn't like the beer before but that it just added so much to the experience and so to be able to um, to have our customers and our, and our trade wholesale customers um, come through our venue and to be able to take them into the brewery and give them a sniff of hops and, and let them munch on the malt and um, really open their eyes to the whole experience and let them sort of feel it is is kind of um, you, you almost can't put a value on that I think and um, it's definitely a huge part of what we do How important is it to have a important is it to have a range of beers for someone like Stomping Ground I think 20, 20 taps or so in there is it? Yeah it's a about that 20, 24, 24 taps but um, some of them are doubled up so we kind of um, float between about 12 and 18 different beers on tap um, it's uh, for us it's it's we want to have something for everybody um, so we want to have a range that um, includes sours and includes um, you know the hop forward American styles includes a bit of Belgian stuff some dark things some English styles um, We've always sort of done that at the tap house and kept a, a list that has always had a breadth of styles. Um, in some ways, it's a bit of a rod for our back because we've got to keep up with that. And and um, but then, on the flip side of that, it's it's exciting for the brewers because they get to do um, new and different things all the time. I think, but what we what we put out into the wholesale market is not that full range though because I think that would be a little bit confusing for people and hard to keep up with. But it for for the venue itself to give that breadth of styles and have something for everyone we we place a pretty high value on having um you know a lot of different beers how do you manage that with ipas because <laughs> we talk about rod for your back um <laughs> yeah it's definitely definitely a rod but a, a rod of our own uh, our own choosing here so 
Um, I guess, yes, starting off, we had the empty tap list. Um, we're running 10 taps uh, here uh, permanently. We're trying to keep as close to 10 as we can. Um, at the start, it was great because there was a lot we hadn't explored. There's still a lot we're yet to explore. Uh, but six months in, you know, you really have to think about how to make, you know, how to make that tap list accessible to people uh, who don't want to have a big sort of bit of beer. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it can be a little bit challenging at times. Do um, you? I guess do you have to please everyone? Um, and I guess there's a, no, a, a question well, for any, everyone. Yeah. Um, well, I, I guess it's it's yeah, a good point to sort of bring up that we're pretty unapologetic in not trying to be a brewery for everyone, but trying to be a brewery for people that are really into those hop forward, clean style of beers. Um, they're the beers we like to brew and drink, and that's sort of just where we've focused our yeah, unbridled attention towards. So it's great a lot of the time. It's challenging a small amount of the time. Uh, and as we go on, yeah, just looking forward to seeing what we can do within that sort of, you know, it's, yeah, almost like the, the constriction we've put on ourselves, but our sort of focus is, yeah, us and what we want to do. Do any of you think what uh, the three venues are doing or, or going to do would have worked, say, 15 years ago? Justin, we'll go with you first because uh, you, you've got the most general offering um, in yeah. terms of, you know, m- most people come in and find something they want. Yeah. Would that have worked 15 years ago? Um, yeah, I think it probably would have. I think um, uh, it might have been a bit different though. It, I, I don't think we would have had the breadth of styles for sure. 15 years ago, I think um, people weren't ready for sour beers and they weren't ready for probably a whole heap of beers that we've got on I think it might have been 10 different beers instead of 20 and there might have been a few pale ales in there and, and a brown ale and a porter and a stout and it would have been sort of 15 years ago sort of range yeah. but I think um, as a as a venue and a concept um, it it probably would have worked at that stage I think yeah mm. what about you Nick? Uh, pretty much just Echoing Justin's sentiments, there, the concept would have worked. Would have had to, yeah, cater the beers to 15 years ago taste. I probably wouldn't have been doing uh, barrel fermented Brett ales in 750 mil bottles for 35 dollars. <laughs> um, that wouldn't have been a money maker. Um, but yeah, definitely, I think a a small um, brew pub with a good hospitality offering community hub like Justin's just said uh, would have definitely worked in Collingwood 15 years ago Um, on Smith Street or just off Smith Street do you reckon definitely okay definitely I don't know why there isn't any more okay (laughs) what do you think like um, I kept thinking 15 years ago is like 1990 so I'm like way uh, (laughs) 2003 (laughs) and Smith Street was was pretty dodgy still then Uh, Um, definitely Um, in in terms of an IPA only brand I think it would have really struggled in Australia I think the sort of focus on that sort of end of the market's changed a lot and is still continuing to change particularly around yeah the sort of you know session IPAs parallel pushing XPA New England style um, and that sort of thing Uh, so maybe a little bit of fortunate sort of timing for Tommy to focus in on a style he loved just as it was sort of you know showing a bit of a bit more focus Um, but yeah agreed across the broader styles could have worked but yeah, that sort of old school mentality of the the, the brown ale, yeah. pale ale, stout porter, I think is dead and, and buried. And for a uh, for a little tweak, you'd go a Hefeweizen as well. Yeah. Oh, don't, don't go crazy. too crazy. <laughs> Something crazy. <laughs> the uh, was it the the brew pub red ale was the classic. 
Um, which you don't see too many. You guys have a red ale, don't you? A regular? We've had a no. We don't. We've had a red IPA. We haven't got a red ale. So, do you mean like a Celtic red mm. type thing? No, we haven't yet. Oh, okay, I don't know what yeah. I'm thinking of then. Yeah. Um, I guess wh- where I'm going with this as well, like the model for a brew pub has changed in the last even two or three years. Is completely different. Um, did it change when I guess Stomping Ground were looking at what you were doing? You know, you said it took two years to find a site. How much did that model evolve for you? Um. Well, I guess part of the model was going to be determined by how much space we had. So the the building that I spoke about before that um, that didn't work out was about half the size. So it would have been significantly different because we would have we would have kept the hospitality side of it probably a similar size, which would have made the brewery significantly smaller. So that it, it could have potentially ended up very different. It could have only been you know half a dozen or ten different beers on tap. Mm. Um, so from that point of view, that the, um, the model was influenced by the building itself. Um, but throughout that process, w- there wasn't a lot of change in what, what we wanted to do. We, we, we saw the opportunity to have a full-blown hospitality offer at a brewery, which we had seen happen um, probably at Little Creatures in Frio and at Geelong at that stage. Um, but outside of that... Um, it, there weren't many, if any, doing it seven days a week, lunch and dinner. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of places have a hospitality portion of their business, but it wasn't. Um, we we were sort of hospitality people coming out of brewery rather than um, brewers um, adding a hospitality part of their business. Mm. Um, and Stomping Ground is open like 11 a.m. every day? Yeah, 11.30 every, every day, seven days a week. We close on Christmas Day and that's it. So, that's insane. Yeah. Like, yeah. you think of any business being open that often, that's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, that's, yeah. I don't have a question there. That's just, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I personally, or the three of us, but me personally just don't believe in closing. Like, we just figure you've got to be open because you never know when people want to come. Right. So, and that's kind of part of the ethos then around all the, the say, the tap house and everything as well? Yeah, that's, um, we, we just have never wanted people to be, um, kind of sef- second guessing whether we're going to be open. We just want to be reliable and and um, uh, not that people that close on certain days aren't reliable because I'm sure that they publish those hours or whatever. But we just want people to think of us and think, yeah, it'll be open. So let's go down there. Yeah, we've, even in our sort of small space here, as much as we're not open every day, but the same mentality about you know we get requests for functions and that sort of thing and trying to accommodate where we can. But in terms of closing a venue when you've got published and open hours, you just can't do it. You know. That's um, it's interesting. We always say when a new cafe or something opens up around us, and they if they close over Christmas time or Easter within their first year, it's like you need to earn that yeah. time. You need to be the one that stays open. So, yeah. and it's that kind of yeah, as you said, you need to be open when people want to drink. Yeah, because they're gonna you're gonna find somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. and there's a uh, you know there's it's a pretty sort of hot topic at the moment with, with penalty rates and people closing at various times because of that and whatever but we just sort of think that you on balance if you're open every day or just about every day then you, you're going to be there's, there's some value in just being able to say to people you're just open also you want it to be the community hub you want people to feel like it's their home away from home yeah so I mean if you shut for a shut completely for a function mm. or you shut over Christmas, people can't rely on that to go for a beer on Sunday. Yeah. It's something that I've been uh, pretty adamant about. I don't want to have functions, even though 
it's quite lucrative to hold functions. I want people to know if, if Molly Rose is open, they can come in and have a beer. Okay. Not on a Friday night. We've got. Oops. Oh, oh just. I'm <laughs> waving around been. too much. <laughs> you gesturing um, too much. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I think. I think, and if you give people an opportunity to second guess and wonder whether you're open, then they'll yep. probably just assume that you're not. And um, yep. uh, yeah, we're, we're exactly the same. We've never closed fully for a function. Mm -hmm. We've closed portions of the venue, but we, um, for the same, for that very reason. And we, if you go back to what we're there for, and being that community hub, and mm -hmm. what that was a hundred years ago, where it was probably the post office, and it was probably a whole range of other things, post office, as well as baker, a brewery. butcher, yeah, and brewery. <laughs> you had to be, you have to be reliable. You have to be a place that people know that they can go, and um, and you can't just take the big dollars because someone's come along and said they want to book the joint out. How much does that? Um how much is that a financial decision versus you talk about penalty rates and all that? Like it's it's expensive to do. How much do you have to factor that into just running costs of, of what you do? Um, well, yeah, you do. You just have to factor that in. And I th but we we tend to make decisions based. I've just had another beer brought to me. Thank yeah. you very much because <laughs> I knocked the last one over. Um, our decisions tend to be made first and foremost on what we think is right for the business. Um, it, on all levels, not just financial um, levels. Like we've been approached to, for whole venue functions and that sort of thing that have been big numbers, which would have made that day or that week look amazing in terms of um, revenue. But as as Nick was just saying, the you, you take that revenue and you get that on that day. But then there's how many people wandered past or or tried to get in who who are there, you know, week in week out supporting us. Mm. Um, they're the sort of people that you need to really look after because they if if they go then um, things become far more difficult. So I think yeah that, that that's kind of how we approach those decisions and some of them have been really tempting and some of them are, you know, you know, high profile events and this sort of thing and you get stars in your eyes and you think maybe that would be a good idea and it's a big number and whatever but then you think that's it's a one off. And that some people are there three or four times a week, and they're the they're the people that you need to really look after. They they almost they're not your business. They become a part of your business. Those yeah. people they're your ambassadors. So and that's the whole thing about having a brew pub is you want to build those ambassadors and make people part of the family. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. It, it's interesting. I've always said um, like it's your locals that that keep you going when you have a rough month. They're the people at least putting money over the bar. And in my hometown, there's a brewery. Um, I don't even know what they're called anymore. They've gone through a few changes, but they've ignored the locals their whole their whole life. Um, there's never really been a love for the locals. The locals never loved them, and it's always struggled financially. And I'm sure they've done functions at the brewery, but they don't get the locals in and out. And they focused on exporting a lot, um, trying to compete with the Steinlagers of the world or New Zealand, the Steinlagers of the world. Um, and that was, you know, a conscious decision on, on their behalf to, you know, look outwards rather than to your community, but I guess what you're both saying is your community is crucial to, to your day-to-day? -day. Yeah, absolutely. It's crucial and it's, it's, uh, there's more enjoyment in being involved in your community and knowing people than there is in filling a container and saying goodbye to it. Uh, you know, apart from the fact that you probably get paid up front for that container, which is <laughs> handy. But, um, but you just do the maths in your head a little bit, <laughs> then you're like, oh. a little bit. We don't export yet. Yeah. Um, but we, yeah, but there's, there's far more enjoyment in, and you know, as I said, I've, the word community has come up a few times, and I think um, that is what that's about. It's about being there for people, and you know, not like 
we're some kind of charity or anything like that. But it's a, it's just being reliable and and um, being making sure the experience that people have when they come in is is um, consistent, and um, and that they they enjoy it every time. I also want people to enjoy my beer at its best. I want people to drink it when it's freshest. Uh, and it hasn't sat around for a while, hasn't sat in a container. I want people to come to the source and drink it, where it is at its absolute best. It's been in cold storage. It's aged for this many years in a barrel. It's aged for this many weeks in a bottle. I want people to enjoy it there and just love it. So, yeah, I, I don't want to ship it across the other side of the world. That's, that's the whole advantage of having your own site. You can give people your beer in the best condition possible. We were just saying for decades probably centuries people have been talking about what a um a pint of guinness tastes like at the source in dublin and the this kind of aura that there is around that and i think that in some way is what we're all trying to recreate and it tastes better at the source even if it's scientifically not better and it's just as fresh it might be just as fresh at the pub down the road or interstate or wherever because it's been well looked after but there's something about being there where it's made and the connection that people feel to um, being at this at that site that it's produced that um that just sort of counts for more than than the sum of its parts i think oh, hugely i think that you roll with um the sort of the taste of it but also the environment that you create within that site and when you're at those places and you've got passionate people serving it and pouring it as best as it can be yeah it's un- unbeatable so i guess thinking about um you know, how the market's changed and how we probably couldn't do all, you know, we'd have to change things for for a few years ago the model of a brew pub has definitely changed now and the model of a, a brewery has changed where people do know what a oxidized beer tastes like um say you know 10 years ago and we we're getting imports from the states and we're all loving them as, as beer lovers thinking oh this is amazing and now if we were to get that same beer it'd be probably not so great um has educated well, yeah just on that we so we do some uh some you know retention sort of tasting down here and we had a yeah a wa- a IPA, one of ours that have been stored very warm for nine months against fresh out of the tap. And uh, yeah, definitely the uh, one that have been stored warm tasted like some of the best American IPAs <laughs> that <laughs> don't <laughs> taste that great over here. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess, and we're seeing in the States market retraction, um, a lot of sort of, a lot of the larger players, a lot of regional breweries are retracting and people are looking closer. So... Uh, it almost feels like the the model has to include a brew pub, and that's thinks what everyone said. Um, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think without a doubt. I think people um, increasingly want that connection with whatever they're consuming, whether it's cheese or bread or wine or beer, um, even you know, clothing and that sort of thing. Increasingly, they want to know that it's ethically made. They want to know, and where possible, they want to support. Um, they want it to be kind of as low an impact on the environment as it can possibly be and they want to support um local you know we've i think um we've come out of this whole kind of mass mass produced kind of um uh vibe of the 80s and 90s or whatever and we're starting to feel like we want something a little bit more sort of tangible something that we know where it came from and we know the person that made it in, in in a whole range of sectors yeah people want a face and a place to what they consume um Definitely. Uh, a lot of people listening to this around Australia that might not necessarily know Collingwood or live in Collingwood, um, we just, I guess it's seen as, for lack of a better word, the hipster part of Melbourne. Uh, it's very trendy. You can get a 
I'm vegan pizza next door, um, which is delicious. Um, it, people with their, with their whippet while they're eating their vegan pizza, which is just super on trend at the moment. With a, <laughs> a whippet jumper on as well? Uh, I had a scarf, uh, not a jumper. It had its own rug though, so... Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you look at, say... Um, a whippet just walked past. Okay, <laughs> it's probably the same one. Uh, you know, say if you're in a regional centre uh, and you wanted to do a brew pub, how would, say, Molly Rose be different? Would you try and do the same thing or would you reverse it or how would you do it? I, I, I don't know w- what reversing it looks like. I don't know where that came from. But <laughs> I, would, I would definitely try and do the same thing, build a hub for the people around me. Um, brew beers that are approachable and uh, uh, inclusive which is what my ethos is uh, I want everyone to be able to come to the pub and enjoy uh, one of the beers even if they're not beer drinkers so yeah even if I was in the countryside in a country town I, I Molly Rose Brew Pub would have very similar core values and look pretty similar What about you lived in Byron for a while yeah, yeah. Would fixation IPA bar work in Byron? Uh, Byron, perhaps. Regional centres, no. Even in Byron, I think it personally be a bit of a struggle. Mm. Um, definitely. I mean, my, my dad's a farmer in northeast Victoria. Um, and another little brewery, you can give a quick plug out to the Mitter Valley Breweries, just set up recently up there. Um, and have focused very heavily on three core range beers to appeal to the people of that area. Like ec- excellent beers and a great little brewery in a small town with a you know transient population. Um, and yeah, I think you have to be mindful of sort of what you're doing for the area. Uh, just to really, yeah, in, in that regional sense, cater the beers that you want to make to what you're going to be able to sell and keep yourselves around for a few years. I don't think that's shortcoming as a brewer, you know, thinking about what you want to brew in that sort of area. Um, but you have to be mindful of what people might like to drink and then slowly push the boundaries or sort of keep it going. But without that in mind, it'll be a, a really nice and a really short little startup, I think. Uh, the big question that we've had about this, this series is how do you pay for it all? Anyone want to feel that? Can anyone feel that? Because, I mean, people don't talk about money and People don't want to talk about money, and there is factors that go into that, investors and all that. I guess, yeah. No, I can, can, I can you talk I, about I, it? I can. St- I can start off definitely. Um, so, I started off very, very small. I um, almost did my own version of a Kickstarter. I pre-sold my first six beers, 150 subscriptions um, to the Foundation series. Uh, there were six beers that had formed my education in beer and also Molly Rose's formation as a business. Um, And I shipped them out uh, in three beer packs over 12 months. So that's how I launched. I asked for people's money up front and then shipped the beers out in the following 12 months. So that gave me the money to brew and bottle and label and design everything and yeah, really launched the business. Um, Off the back of that, I could brew some other smaller batches and get some beer out and about. Uh, not much. I was still brewing in 300 litre batches. I still am brewing in 300 litre batches. Uh, but managed to get in a few bottle shops, a few bars, that kind of thing. And that gave investors something tangible to look at, something tangible to pick up. I won a few awards off the back of those beers that I was able to brew. And it showed that I was brewing quality beers. And yeah, I've got uh, two three investors, family, friends type investors, Mm. um, 
who have yeah seen that I'm putting in the hard yards and that I'm making a quality product and people like it. And yeah, they've jumped on board and managed to s- scrape together enough to uh, launch this very small brew pub. Are you going to say something, Justin? Oh, no, I was just going to say it's probably more than where the money comes from. It's about building a model that is going to be sustainable. And then you can go and sort of find out, work out how you're going to fund it. But it's, um, I think it's about taking lots of advice from people that have done it before, made the mistakes, because you can be as well funded as you like. If you don't do it in a sustainable way, financially sustainable way, then that money's going to disappear pretty quickly. So yeah. it's about... A, you've got to have the good product and you've got to have the concept right. But you've also got to have a, um, a plan and a model that um, is going to be able to sustain itself um, in that initial phase that is so difficult in terms of getting it up and running and that sort of thing. Yep. I, I guess I, I've been through about half a dozen different business models <laughs> and a lot of them weren't sustainable. How did uh, you find that out, that they weren't sustainable? Uh, not being able to get them off the ground. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, have come across this model, starting really small and getting it out there, and then yeah, with a brew pub, as we've all talked about, it is actually it makes sense to have a venue to hand off beers directly for cash. Um, yeah, so that's how I got to where I am. It, it's interesting. I was thinking about um, Sierra Nevada when you when you were speaking about what you were doing, um, and similar scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very, very similar. But when when he started out, he was literally taking cases around to bars and giving them a beer and saying, do you like this? And they said, nah, it's horrible. And then he'd go to the next one and just kept on doing it until people bought it. And I guess it's easier now in that sense where people understand what a pale ale is or a, a sour beer is, but back then it was a nightmare. Um, and then I, was, I got to thinking about, say, Stone and & Wood and, and the local tap house where they didn't start as big businesses, did they? They started as people trying to sell people beer. And there was that story in the Crafty Pint um, this week, I think it was. Did yeah, you read that? this week, which I just read about, yeah, uh, Ross driving door-to-door with a 10-litre keg, trying to get people to try the beer. Yeah. yeah. And by the last venue, it would be super oxidised. Uh, and I'd hate it. But <laughs> it must have been dispensing it with just, yeah. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> it didn't make sense to me, but I was like, yeah, I get, get the sentiment. Man. That, that's, he's, yeah. Not, yeah. <laughs> he's not the brewer, though, so, you know, he doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> as long as he sold it, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. the important point. Hey? But, you know, that people, I think... And I think Stone and Wood especially, people look at Stone and Wood as, as somewhat of a big brewery um, and they forget that finance is literally just trying to get that cash flow and sell beer and knock on people's doors. I think, you know, speaking, I was a brewer at Stone Wood for about two and a half years uh, and in the entire time I was there, that whole cash flow side was one of the most important things of the business and that focus on staying independent um, through the years. If you're not focused on that, it might not be your intention, but you can come unstuck and that's the reason a lot of breweries have to sell out because of, you know, the mismanagement of sales to cash flow and whatnot. Um, so I know, yeah, within that business, it's a super important part about maintaining independence and doing things slowly and in the right way that they can afford to do, you know, the expansion and growth as and when they can. Um, as someone, uh, I can't remember who it was, but came up with a metric of looking at the next breweries to sell and it was always a brewery that had been around for four or five years that was established and then expanded suddenly and then I guess overextended themselves so didn't do that 
I guess what you're saying that keep that cash flow in mind of well it's, I mean it's easy to do if your sales are going really well and there's demand to keep the beer going and you can get investment and sort of do it yeah I, I say this as a brewer that's never had to deal with these <laughs> things but I imagine you know it becomes a pretty uh, a, a appealing sort of scenario to go down but at the same time yeah can quickly sort of take that sort of ownership away from what you're trying to do as a brewery which I think I mean for me personally the, the best breweries sort of hold true to themselves and you know keep it keep it within the the reins of what they can do that's um and i guess it's interesting thinking of sierra nevada where they've always kept that real focus on being you know the founder is still the founder and he's still there with the family um, and i think what you're all talking about is creating connection with the community and that's something they've always done um sounds like that's key to your model whatever you're doing is doing something Right, it's just just key to good <laughs> business. Yeah, yeah, just in general, you know, across the board. If yeah, the authenticity of yeah businesses, I think, is becoming that much more important. And if you're you're not true to what you're doing, then you'll be much more quickly found out these days by yeah, a few people online and you know, sort of words getting out. If you're not keeping true to what you're doing, it's yeah, it's got to be a lot more honest. Um, so something that I'd like to know, because I haven't launched yet. So it's, it'll be a problem for the future for me, hopefully, is uh, you scrape together enough money to put together your first venue, put together your first site, uh, and it takes off. Everyone loves your beer. How do you then go from that to taking it to the next level and uh, expanding from there to be able to meet the demand for your beer? Um, you both... I wish I could comment. We're only making a few hundred litres a week here, so that's still out of my depth. <laughs> um, for us, it's kind of happened pretty organically. We started with a, um, uh, the brew house and I think three or four fermenters, a couple of doubles and maybe a single fermenter, so 20 and 40 hex. And we kind of reached capacity with those and ordered a couple more tanks and did the same again and the same again. So it's kind of... Um, and we're, I mean, we're only two years old as well, so we're, um, we're still managing that kind of growth and we're, and the same thing has happened three or four times where we've reached capacity, started bursting at the seams, bought a few more tanks and expanded that capacity and we're way off kind of the brew house being at its capacity. So it's just a matter of, um, sort of adding tanks to, to where we're at. Uh, Obviously the packaging side of things was a big step as well, but, um, uh, it's an ongoing conversation about, and I think, uh, as Sam was saying, some people go too big too quickly, and and it's I think you can see that it would be very easy for that to happen. Like we, how do if if things are going well, you, the the natural instinct is to let them keep going well. Um, but um, so yeah, I mean we're in constant conversation with um, internally about. Um, you know, when's the right time to, to get a few more tanks and, and do we need to expand or should we consolidate and just stay where we're at and that sort of stuff. It's, I don't think there's an, it's an exact science. I think, um, uh, you know, we're, uh, largely we're, we're kind of going on gut feel in, in that regard. That's what I was going to ask is how, how do you know when to pull back the sales reps and go, hold on, guys, just take a second and we'll just chug along here for a second. Because uh, that was one of the things in the Pacific Ale uh, article was um, 
It's craftypint.com. Look yep. it up on, uh, I think it's in the, it'll be in the features section. It would be, yeah. Yep. It was, they, they go to a point where they were growing too fast and they just drew a line in the sand and said, no, nah, we're not growing anymore for a little bit. Let's just par this down a bit. Yeah, and that was a, just, just from my perspective, that was a, a genuine thing. That was one of my first, you know, summers up there where you're making as much as you could with all the tanks you had in space. And it was just a, a good, which I always say, it was, a, it was a good problem to have at the time, having, you know, all the beer you could have being sold. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't, a, I guess, an easy decision to make to then keep expanding and keep it going. We've taken, I mean, yeah, I alluded to the fact earlier that we took lots of advice before we started and some of, and, um, some of the best we've, advice we have uh, got has been from Ross and Jamie and Brad at Stone and Wood and they've made some really courageous, courageous decisions throughout the time um, in terms of getting deranged at Dan Murphy's and that sort of stuff to support their loyal um, keg accounts that they've had that that sort of put them that gave them their start and, and put them on the map. They've they've sort of treasured those people um, ahead of um, you know retail sales and and that when they were stemming the growth um, to sustain things that they, they were that was how they managed it. And um, whereas a lot of some other people might have chosen to go and get somebody else to to brew the beer to to cope with that capacity or, or find another solution. Um, those guys have been really true to their to their um, sort of ethos to keep it all in house and keep it manageable and sustainable and all that sort of stuff. So, and we've taken some inspiration from that as well. It's still we're still kind of making it up as we go, but it's um, uh, it's it's kind of difficult, really difficult. So, a follow up from that, you've got lots of advice from other people. What advice would you give to yourself if you could go back two years and give yourself some advice slash give me advice? Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, having that two years of experience of rapid growth. Um, that's a really difficult question, actually. Um, uh, we would, we wouldn't do a lot differently, to be honest. Um, we, as I said, it's kind of we've we've grown pretty organically. Um, we would, I mean, the only advice we would really give is to, is to really stick to what you believe in and not and not kind of deviate from a from the path that you want to be on just because um, uh, something looks a bit easier or, or there's kind of a, an option to get really big in a hurry or there's anything that sort of deviates from what you believe in. If you, if you believe in the concept, I think, um, and you've, you've got the space to communicate that to your punters, I think that that's what you should do because any deviation from that, you're not going to believe in as much as you, as you would have. And, um, and if you believe in it that much, people, people it's... People are going to um, believe in it with you, I reckon. Thanks. I think, uh, do you have any more questions? I've lots, but <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of personal. Yeah, okay. <laughs> for, for personal gain rather than okay. uh, for podcast gain. Um, do you guys want to add anything else about uh, advice you'd give to people that are thinking, maybe I have enough money to start something, what do I do? I think I think we've covered a lot of it, but any... P- yeah, I... Just uh, personally, at the moment, as the market's getting more and more crowded, just have a have a really good idea about what you're hoping to do, uh, and you know, in terms of volumes and your budget and and all the sort of basics of business. But it's pretty hyper competitive now within craft, and it's still very friendly. But if you don't have a good idea about what you're hoping to do and the niche you're hoping to play in that market, uh, the, the odds are increasingly up against you. So uh, yeah, there's space, but yeah, know what you want to do, do it well. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd echo those sentiments. And I th also think, um, I think it's great to be ambitious, but I think you shouldn't um, kind of go for too much as well. I think if, we th in, uh, if I think back to when we started and we're sort of modelling what we were going to do, we could have survived if all that happened was we brewed beer for the beer hall in Collingwood and a, and a few a couple of taps at the tap house and every, so it, it was going to be sustainable just with that and then the wholesale stuff was going to be on top of that and I think um, uh, to sort of have that comfort made it, made it a little bit less stressful to I think if you if you've got the pressure to have to do the production thing in a big way to, for the thing to be sustainable, then um, it's, it's a bit of a tough time at the moment to be trying to get in there and get your name out there and, and get shelf space and taps and all those competitive kind of things. But if you've got a space that people can come to and that is sustainable on its own, or you, you, know, you might have an, an online component that adds to that as well, um, if, I, I think that you can, you, can, you can pretty much do it without too much of a problem. Where do people find Stomping Ground? Um, mate, we're at all good bottle shops and pubs. No, um, <laughs> we're, we're only really in, a, in a, any significant way. We're in Melbourne um, and then um, Victoria. We do, we are kind of in a, in a very small way in, in some of the other cities in Australia, but we're really focusing on, on Melbourne. We think um, that there's great opportunity here um, and that all our people are here all our resources are here it's it's much easier to manage for us to focus um, locally and um, so we're in on tap in mainly in inner city Melbourne and then we're in um, independent bottle shops and we're in selected um, chains as well some some dance and some first choice and some BWS all right Sam what do people find fixation uh, so you'll find us, yeah, here down in, in Collingwood in Melbourne, our little home and brewery at uh, 414 Smith Street, uh, and also, yeah, good good bottle shops uh, and pubs around the country. Uh, I guess the, the brand was driven by Tommy Delmont, who set it up down here in Melbourne, so most of the volume comes down here, uh, and a little bit interstate uh, as well. So, uh, yeah, if you're out and about and see us, do us some support and, and buy a pot, and yeah, we'd love to say good day. Nick, not quite yet, but you're still in bottle shops. Where do people find you? Uh, I'm at Good Bottle Shops. Good. Uh, in Melbourne, pretty much. Uh, yeah, Black Hearts and Sparrows, Mr. Westbar. All right. Uh, you can find me on the internet just mm. constantly. Uh, thanks, guys, for coming along. Um, I really enjoyed, enjoyed hearing the stories of, of what you had to say, and yeah, it's good. Can I ask you a question, Luke? Okay. If you were to start a brewery, what model would you choose? Oh, um, oh probably something really obnoxiously bad. <laughs> like, it's. Not obnoxiously bad, but it's, it's like a fixation where it's just one thing. Um, so I'd probably just make Pilsners. Uh, and it would be tiny. And how, how tiny? Oh, probably about your size, actually. Thanks. But, but with a brew house in there to take over a lot of that space. Uh, I mean, financially, that's that's a terrible decision uh, to do Pilsners in a tiny ah, space. Long lagering <laughs> time in yeah, beers. <laughs> I love those beers. What so could go wrong? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I... I I don't know. It's it's such a, um, and I, but I think to be honest, it would come down to I think what everyone said, what I like, or, or how I can connect with people and how I can get across what I want to get across. And when I think about all the beers that I love and the beers that I keep buying, um, they are the the Stone and Woods or the Stomping Grounds, um, and and hopefully the Molly Roses. 
uh, as you keep going. But you know, the other people I identify with and the people that I, I want to support, um, and I think Justin, you mentioned it as well, the, the market's changing. People want to know that it's ethically sourced. People want to know that it's, it's helping a community. And I think that should be key to a model anywhere that you're doing it um, because the whole factory, giant factory, is, is losing traction with everyone at the moment. So, yeah. So if uh, anyone wants to invest in an ultra-small Pilsner brewery <laughs> in Melbourne... I didn't want to do it. No, I didn't. <laughs> uh, get in contact with Luke. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks, guys, for coming along. I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks yeah, for having us. Thanks very much. Cheers, Luke. Bye. Cheers, boys. <laughs>